This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. I'm gonna marry the night. I won't give up on my life. I'm a warrior queen, live passionately tonight. You're listening to Broad on Joy 94.9. Hi, I'm Maria Lewis. I'm abroad, and you're listening to Broad on Joy 94.9. Broad would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands that we broadcast from, the Kulin Nation, and pay respect to all the Kulin women elders from the past, present, and those women who will be the future elders. We'd also like to acknowledge, with respect, the traditional owners of all the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander land that we broadcast to and pay respect to all our women elders from all clans and nations, past, present and future. Welcome to Broad, Monday the 20th of March 2017. I'm Jane Connery, extremely missing our regular host Sonia, who will be back in the hot seat next week. And at the start of the show, um, you heard this girl is on fire, so we're all feeling that way tonight, very excited. (laughs) Um, I've got John, a.k.a. Chatty Cathy, with me tonight, helping me to press all the buttons and keeping the show on the road. Hey, John. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for being here. (laughs) It's great to be here. So Melbourne is abuzz with cultural festivals this week. The Melbourne Queer Film Festival will be on until the 27th and Melbourne's Design Week will be on until the 26th and both are in full swing. Our guests tonight are going to give us a look into some events that I know will interest you and hopefully inspire you to get involved. First, we'll be talking to Nikki Carms and Naomi Steed about a Design Week panel at the NGV where they'll be discussing queer architecture, What exactly that means and what it might look like is something that we'll be chatting about tonight. Then film historian and member of the movie-loving misfits Cinemaniac Sally Christie is popping by to talk about the MQFF screening of the John Waters cult classic Multiple Maniacs. Sound good, John? I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) What is great to see in Melbourne's Design Week is the high level of voice and visibility for women. There are so many smart and creative women involved and so many opportunities to support them. Here's a bit of rundown of the events at Design Week this week. Sister Creta Kent was a nun in New York in the 60s who screen printed a huge collection of psychedelic posters. If Andy Warhol and Cirque du Soleil had a baby, this work would be it. Mm. Uh, it's full of heart, full of guts and an exhibition of her works now on at the Ian Potter at Melbourne Uni. It will inspire you from the inside out. Also, Bonnie Abbott is a local designer, educator and writer who'll be holding a workshop at the NGV on Saturday called The Designers in the Detail. This workshop helps you figure out who you are as a person and as a designer, how that impacts your recognition of valuable insights and how you can utilise those insights to solve design problems. Each participant will leave with a thing they've made, something representing their own personal design approach. And lastly, this weekend... Denise Whitehouse, an amazing design historian, will be hosting a free panel at the NGV on Sunday. Speakers include Harriet Edquist, the director of the RMIT Design Archives. The panel will be tackling the question, what can history tell us about the place of design in our everyday lives, how it shapes and communicates our ideas, 
lifestyles and values. Look, so check out the program on our broad Facebook page, but seek out the women there and get behind inclusive events that value what they have to say. There is no shortage of girls on fire here. A diverse sound for a diverse crowd. Joy 94.9. Hi, we're the Girl Freeders and you're listening to Broad on Joy 94.9. I'm Jane Connery on Joy 94.9 and this is Broad Designs where I talk to women in design and celebrate their work in the creative industries. Design Week is currently in full swing and on Sunday afternoon Dr Nikki Carms and Professor Naomi Steed will be heading up a panel at the NGV discussing the theme of queering architecture. As part of the newly formed XYX Lab at Monash Uni, Nikki and Naomi will be chatting about issues in space, gender and communication aiming to open conversations about redesigning normality in architecture, informing them with research and addressing them with advocacy. The key of the XYX Lab is to think about how design can control and prevent gender inequity in Australia. Nikki and Naomi, welcome to Broad Designs. Thanks. Hi, Jane. Hi. Naomi, you've written that the term queer remains divisive, even as it has been used and contested and proclaimed by activists since the late 1980s. How are you framing queer or queering in relation to architecture in this project? I guess the first thing is that we're thinking of it really genuinely as a question in relation to this panel that we're doing on Sunday, because there hasn't been a lot of discussion about um, queer, queer architecture, queering architecture, queer space even, in academic circles, at least in architecture for, you know, 15, 20 years even. Yep. So it's genuinely a question. And the question is, um, should this be a question really, yes. or should this be a discussion? So that's, I guess that's the first thing. Um, and the second thing is we're really defining it very, very broadly. So just as you can think of architecture as a profession, which is full of people, you can mm -hmm. also think of it as buildings. Um, and likewise, we're thinking of queering architecture as encompassing a whole range of things from um, places or spaces that might be regarded as um, welcoming or embracing of queer people yep. or not. Um, uh, the people who use and or create queer, queer spaces who might be architects as well as the people who use buildings, plus... Um, m more specifically to the discipline, it's also about the idea of queering architectural practice, as in doing architectural practice in a different or unusual way. Mm, mm, outside the norm. Mm. I love it. Nikki, what are you hoping to find out from the queering architecture panel discussion and, and who should go, come along, who should attend? Mm. Well, I guess, the as you say, the XYX Lab is um, really a, a research laboratory that's interested in uncovering the experiences of diverse groups of people. And so often the experiences of the LGBTIQ community is really left out of our thinking about design and urban spaces and cities. Mm -hmm. And so... We're really invested particularly in ideas of what we call co-design mm -hmm. um, and that really means working with community and stakeholders. So I guess with the panel discussion and the practitioners that we're going to have there at the Queering Architecture um, discussion on Sunday, we're really wanting people to come along that feel like they have something to share or offer that discussion and people that want to engage more deeply with the idea of queer and architectural space. So anyone who's really interested in thinking about those ideas um, in a diverse and inclusive way should come along. Yep. I was um, just scanning Facebook this afternoon. There's already um, conversations happening about the new Pride Centre and I think, you know, that's a forum that everyone can come along and, and bring those opinions that will be listened to, yeah. Naomi, how would you explain how queer space has changed in the past 20 years? 
Well, I mean, that's really a fascinating question and I hope that's something that we'll get to discuss. But I guess the first point is that some things haven't changed at all. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's, I find it really striking that some of the spaces which are actively kind of anti-queer, if you like, are, um, you know, arguably one might say that public space is still, um, you know, one still has to make an assessment before holding the hand of one same-sex partner. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, schools, I think, haven't really changed very much. But some things have changed a lot and that includes... Uh, the f- the flight of um, queer communities online away from analog spaces. Mm-hmm. So you know the the um, the kind of arguable um, withering away of, of gay bars and lesbian yes. bars as well. Uh, that's really shifted. Um, but I think one of the things that's for me one of the really interesting things that's changed about queer spaces in that period is that there's now quite a f- strong resistance to labelling. It seems to me some people are really um, quite resistant to being labelled mm-hmm. in any way. And so there's been a kind of what you might call a um, diffusion. You know, the queer spaces are kind of invisible in some ways yes. because uh, people are out with their straight friends and um, hanging out in um, kind of mixed company in yes. a way that was perhaps a bit different before. Lots of pros and cons in that in society moving forward as mm. well as and shifting those norms as well. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's something interesting to talk about on this panel. Nikki, Victoria will soon be home to Australia's first Pride Centre, which is planned to be bigger than San Francisco's LGBTI Community Centre. This is another project you've also involved with. Can you tell us more about how design thinking can help shape the Pride Centre? Well, uh, in 2016, the XYX Lab at Monash University were really fortunate to be able to work with the Victorian Pride Centre and their board, so um, with particularly Roe Allen and Jude Munro. And what we did is we used some design thinking techniques to find ways that the LGBTI community could really successfully come together in this new building and form. And I think what was really fascinating about the way that the um, Pride Centre board approached this project was that Uh, there wasn't this kind of automatic thinking that everyone would just get on. You know, bringing together diverse people is not always an easy thing to do. Mm. And so um, given that it is a very unique Victorian initiative and that it is a project that wants to celebrate and bolster equality and diversity and inclusion, it it needs to have some thinking around it. Um, And at the XYX Lab, we're architects and urban designers and communication designers. And that expertise is what allows us to work in a very particular way. So uh, we were thinking about things like um, rather than making assumptions about what tenants and the Pride Board might need, we really wanted to uncover what their individual history and values and culture would be and bring them together uh, in a way before the actual space was built. And that's, I guess, uh, from a lot from experience as an architect that we kind of feel that it's not enough just to have a great building yes. and it's not enough just to have a great architect or a great site, which they now have, of course, but or a catchy logo, but it's really about thinking about the shared purpose and messages that can run through spaces yep. and that needs to be crafted and shaped. And so, as I say, we were, we were fortunate enough to work with them to start to think about the beginning of that project. So the space has been decided upon, is that right? It's in St Kilda? It's, uh, my understanding is that it's in Fitzroy Street, St yeah. Kilda. Yeah. yeah. And so on, on Facebook today, as I mentioned, I was sort of looking at some rhetoric about it all and a blog post I was reading said, the placement of the Pride Centre reflects a desire to revive St Kilda as a tourist destination rather than the changing need of Victoria's queer communities. And what it talks about is how, you know, somewhere like St Kilda can 
be a disadvantage to people who live out in the west, um, people who struggle to get into on public transport, people with health issues. What are some of the ways design thinking can address architecture that's not in bricks and mortar, like mm. that can address embracing the whole community? Look, I think that um, is probably a question that is is one that the Pride um, Board will have a more fulsome answer for. But mm. I do know that in the design thinking workshops that we did with them, there was an incredible sense of um, wanting to connect with regional communities and with um, all of the different municipalities across Victoria and Melbourne. And so uh, one of the things that is increasingly important is being able to do that through virtual and digital and social media realms. Um, and certainly um, looking into the future, my understanding is, is that that will be a core part of how they do take up you know, other communities and people that may be at a distance. Uh, and I think that that's a, a really positive aspect of the project. Absolutely. That digital realm makes it more accessible. I was thinking about it myself. I'm a graphic designer, communication designer, and it was just running through the back of my head today. And I was thinking about why couldn't that whole idea of a space be a mobile space? Could it be like the old mobile libraries in a van that sort of travelled around? That's that's my contribution to your panel. <laughs> I'll have to throw that out there. But it's true, isn't it? Architecture doesn't have to be in one place. It, mm. can, it can move around. Great. Um, my last question, Naomi. Here at Broad, we're focused on making feminism a focus of all our conversations. So what does feminism mean to you? Well, I mean, feminism seems to me to be a kind of no-brainer. Like, why would anyone not be a feminist? I suppose a man or woman is, is a question for me. But, um, I mean, I've done a lot of work on gender equity amongst in the architecture profession, so it, it has that personal meaning for me. But I'm really interested in, um, of course, treating people equally, but also more cautiously making sure there are equal effects. So, you know, okay. sometimes they make this distinction between equity and equality. Yes. And that sometimes you, if everyone gets treated just the same, it can have accidental inequitable effects. Yes. So I'm really interested in, you know, affirmative action, actually. Yep. And, you know, sort of active attempts to redress past wrongs. Yes. Uh, and active attempts to kind of resist patriarchy in kind of queer and other ways. Yes. Um, every way that's possible. So, and if you think about it, the idea of equal opportunity is quite a beautiful idea mm. even though it's become very commonplace because it's part of policy and law and blah 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 but equal opportunity it's this beautiful big shining abstraction and i think we should all aspire to it through feminist means hi we're the girl freeders and, and you're, you're listening, listening to broad, broad on joy 94.9 i missed the broad <laughs> oh that's Dang it. again sorry don't, don't again hi we're the girl freeders and you're listening to broad on joy 94.9 Thank you so much for your time tonight, Nikki and Naomi. I hope you can come back soon and let me know how the panel goes. Really interested in hearing about that. I've posted links to the XYX Lab and the Design Week websites on the Broad Facebook page, as well as more information on the Queering Architecture event. Keep your eye out for links to our podcast there as well. I'm Jane Connery and you're listening to What Women Have to Say on Broad Designs, Joy 94.9. This is Broad on Joy 94.9 and I'm Jane Connery. Now in its 27th year, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival is Australia's largest, largest queer film festival. Its massive 2017 program has 135 challenging and expiring films from 30 countries, including 47 features, 15 documentaries, 73 shorts, 6 Australian premieres, 35 Melbourne premieres and 10 special events, screenings and forums. There has to be something in there for everyone. But if the divine and decadent inspirations of Mr John Waters, the Pope of Trash, is your cup of tea, 
then you're going to love hearing from our next guest, Sally Christie, who is a film historian and part of the film collective Cinemaniacs. Welcome to Broad, Sally. Thank you for having me, Jane. You're welcome. You're hosting a screening of John Waters' movie Multiple Maniacs at Acme on Saturday the 25th of March. The Acme website says Multiple Maniacs is an anarchic masterwork from an artist who has pushed the limits of good taste for decades. What can we expect from this cult classic? Well, I think it's really special that they are actually screening Multiple Maniacs at the Queer Film Festival because it's one of Waters' films that isn't seen as much in the public eye. Mm -hmm. It's his second feature that he made back in 1970, I think on a budget of $5,000. $5,000, yeah. Yes, $5,000. Before I was born, I'm not feeling old tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So he made it on a budget of $5,000 in Baltimore, which all of his films are made. But what can you expect from it? um, It's like nothing you've ever seen before. Like I think most of his films, you can expect rosary jobs <laughs> you can expect some lobster rape like, it's, yeah, it's, it's all it's, in there it's all in there i think that it's um that he's pretty much gone okay i'm going to put everything into this movie that i can to shock people and it worked and it's still all these years later is still shocking people it's, <laughs> and it's great it's yeah. almost like a prequel to um pink flamingos i think yes and i was i was thinking about it because you know obviously Anybody who's a fan of John Waters mm-hmm. will know the movie very well. There's a lot of allegory between Christ and the his followers and the idea of, uh, you know, the journey that Christ made with his disciples and followers. So on the surface level, it's a very typically trashy John Waters movie. But if you dig a little deeper, it's yep. actually quite mind-blowing mm-hmm. how you think about how he's portrayed, you know, like a subset of culture, like the junkies and the whores and the uh-huh. prostitutes then represented them mm-hmm. as being part of Christ and his disciples as well. So. I think that's a really interesting thing that Waters does all the time, which is famously said, my films are for shock value, there's nothing political about them, rubbish. Mm. <laughs> I completely but disagree. But he had a Catholic upbringing, didn't he? did have a Catholic mm. upbringing. But, you know, there's always something deeper and there's always, a, a, you, know, he, you know, he's also famously said that he hates message movies, but there's always something very deep, I think, ingrained in these films when you look he past the surface of contradicts them. himself yes, in many ways. Definitely. The talk you're giving with Lee Gambon before the screening is looking at the muses that inspired John. Mm-hmm. Jane Mansfield, William Castle and the killer child from the horror classic The Bad Seed are listed as some. How depraved does it get? Um, Lots of his influences are quite wholesome. (laughs) Really? (laughs) They are. Like... um, some of the basic concession um, stand commercials from drive-in cinemas, okay. big inspirations to him. Um, but then there is some stuff that is quite depraved, like I think the horror master, Herschel Gordon-Lewis, is one of his big inspirations, which we'll be spending some time talking about. Um, Wizard of Oz is another big inspiration of his. He had a love of villains, but then he also loved bizarre things like, um, well, loves bizarre things like car crashes and says that was a fascination of his since he was a small child. So it really varies. You've got some very wholesome influences which shine through and then some very unwholesome influences which come through as well in his work. Again, so how do these contradictory elements feed his work, do you think? Um, I think with... You can tell with his work he has a great love of American suburbia. And one thing that he does, which he achieves really beautifully, is he makes these American comedies where he's not making fun of these people, 
he's putting them up as, you know... Celebrating them. He's yeah. celebrating mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a difficult thing to do, particularly in that kind of exploitation cinema, is to look at people that aren't as, you know, necessarily as privileged and not make fun of them. Yes. He's so, yeah, he's celebrating these people. So I think as, that really comes through. As you're talking, I'm, it's coming to me, he's like seeing the beauty in the banal almost. Definitely. You know, because yep. he's like a movie like Polyester, which is about a suburban housewife. And in any mm-hmm. other context, it'd be like almost boring. But oh, exactly. obviously when John Waters gets his hand on a script or writes the script, it's mm-hmm. anything but. So, yep. But it's essentially a story about a, an unhappy housewife that has a husband who has a, an affair. But And that's it. And it's so entertaining and, and it. it's amazing. Yeah. But you're right. That is the basic premise of the film. Yeah. It's about an unhappy housewife, which you could watch on The Bold and the Beautiful and, oh, how dull, you know, mm. not for me, not for everybody. Because he's the trash master, yep. but, you know, he obviously he takes it to a whole new mm-hmm. art form, you know, and celebrates. I mean, the movies are, I guess, a reflection of his upbringing too. Exactly. His, his environment, yep. you know, and a reflection. Because yeah. all of his films, while well, he was raised in Baltimore, still lives in Baltimore, and all of his films are in Baltimore as well. So, yeah, definitely a reflection of his where he's been brought up. I think his upbringing was a bit of more upper middle class than his friends, but he sort of was always drawn to that lifestyle. Does (laughs) he put himself (laughs) in all his movies? Um, He is the voiceover in Pink Flamingos. I'm trying to think what else he's in. He was in Polyester. Is he? he His car was in Polyester. (laughs) Bobo drives his car. Yeah. Oh, and he's in. He was in the remake of um, Hairspray. Yes, he was the Flasher at the yeah. start. Oh, he's actually in Hairspray with the. He's a yes, crybaby yes, yes. with the hypnotising no, thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, in Hairspray, yeah. he is with um, Penny Pinkleton when he's hypnotised. Right. Yes, yeah, yes, the, he, yes, yeah. he is in Hairspray. So that, you're that's right, where you're my right. knowledge of John Waters starts and ends. Hairspray. That's yeah. why I was drawing this conclusion. He's in everything, isn't he? <laughs> the way Waters pulls down the fourth wall and has a complete disregard for social norm is still very edgy and confronting today. Over 40 years later, feminism also strives to shift social norms. Do you see any parallels between Waters and feminist ideologies? I definitely 100% do. And I think the way, particularly in his early films, his use of Divine as his leading lady and also Edith Massey, um, who played a large role in um, all of his films until she passed away, Mm. having these... Um, you know, Trevine, who was a drag queen, and Edith Massey, who was um, conventionally unattractive, mm. um, putting them at the forefront really challenges things because he was championing these women as beautiful, mm-hmm. and they were. So that really, really challenges a lot of things and um, I think feeds into feminist ideologies a lot. And there's also been quite a lot written about that. Uh, Eve Sedgwick and Michael Moon wrote an essay about Divine and how just the presence of Divine in cinema helped gay men and also overweight women feel something spectacular about themselves. Yes. So I think that's really special. And also Judith Butler wrote a lot about Divine, I think in the um, preface to uh, Gender Trouble, which is actually the name comes from the John Waters film, Female Trouble. (laughs) So she wrote a lot about Divine and performativity, particularly, you know, with... um, you know, just how she's dressed up as a drag queen and, you know, that feeds into gender trouble and how we are construct ourselves as women by the mm. way that we look. This, so this fourth wall. lots lots and lots with feminism, ideology and John Waters, I think. And, and what does feminism mean to you? Feminism means to me, obviously, equality. But uh, I think more important for me, feminism definitely means the removal of the word should when it comes to females. Yes. So a female should be this, should be that. 
I think that's for me that is a huge thing of what feminism means is the removal of the word should. I like that yeah. definition. Mm. <laughs> That's a new one <laughs> for me. Um, and you're part of the Cinemaniacs. What got this group together and what else do you do there? Well, Cinemaniacs was founded by Lee Gambon, who is also a film historian who I'm doing the talk with. Um, so it's been. I think Cinemaniacs is in its fifth year. Basically... It was came together from a pe- people that had a love of s- retrospective cinema. We didn't get to see it a lot. Um, and how we operate is we have a screening once a month and we try to do something a little different for the fans. So we'll get either an academic to talk before the film to give some context or we'll get a, um, someone you know, that was involved in making the film, either do a Skype thing or an inter- pre-recorded interview. So we make the viewing experience new for people that love the film so they get to see something they've never seen before with it. So our last one that we did was Christiane F, which was just last weekend. Okay. Um, the German film, and I think the next one we've got coming up is Bless the Beast and Children. Wow. So, yeah, lots of... it's a. Lots of variety of films, so once a month we screen. So, And you yeah. guys are all volunteering? Yes. No funding? <laughs> no. Uh, uh, someone wants to give us funding, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no funding. All these amazing cultural activities in Melbourne, yeah. just driven by the yeah. passion that people have. Exactly. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to tell us about the event coming up? So um, with the the one at the Queer Film Festival. I think how it's working is the Multiple Maniac screening is happening on Friday night um, and then our panel is Saturday afternoon. So they're not on the same day. So um, Multiple Maniacs is at 10pm Friday at Acme. We also have organised an intro from John Waters, which wow. is screening before it, which is we exciting. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. So he's filmed that just for us. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I've had privy to it and it's very good. He's great. He's great. Were you there when he was actually doing it? No, he's, oh. he's, he's just, you know, he's so professional. He's just filmed it and sent it through. Oh, so so I know. So, so that is screening before Multiple Maniacs. So that's Friday night. And then our panel is 3 p.m. Saturday at Acme. And, yeah. So, no, it should, it should be great. I think I'm, yeah, I'm really dying to, to ask you, are there any plans to release Multiple Maniacs, like the restored version? I think they would have to because it's, yeah, it's one that's so rarely seen yeah. and Criterion have, they're the ones that have, are, are releasing it. So, I'm sure that after it's kind of done a bit of a festival, it, yeah. it, it will be released. Great, because Criterion yep. always do amazing releases. They do, so, yep. yeah. So, fingers crossed, but I'm sure they'll they'll release it. That'd be mm. mental not to. I <laughs> know <laughs> it is. It's exciting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So, I have to put my fun fact in here. Sounds like I make it sound like I know about John Waters too. So, if you're familiar with Divine, another of John Waters' muses, she was the inspiration for Ursula in The Little Mermaid. It's uncanny. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. It's I wonderful. Think. <laughs> and I have to thank my daughter, who's 13, for telling me that. Oh, really? How <laughs> lovely. <laughs> That's so nice, though. She, she loves Jake Queens. Um, look, thank you so much for your time, is Sally. She, is she a fan of Drag Race? Oh, we sit down and watch oh, RuPaul all the time. It's, it's a ritual in my household too. <laughs> it's, it's so much fun. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> look, thanks again for your time, Sally. I've posted links to the Multiple Maniac screening and your um, talk on the Broad Facebook Excellent. page. Um, so get to it, everyone. We're going to finish up tonight with a song from the Broadway cast of Hairspray. As well as another super surprise I think I might just squeeze in. Oh, I don't no. know if we've got time. Oh, 
okay. We'll see how we go. (laughs) So it's the more mainstream film written by Waters. You can't stop the beat. Thank you for tonight, John. You're welcome. It's fantastic to be here with all these amazing guests. (laughs) Yay. Next next up is Becked with Bite Me Down Under and a bevy of awesome Aussie tunes. This has been Broad on Joy 94.9 and I'm Jane Connery. A diverse sound for a diverse crowd. Joy 94.9. You are on Neon uh, on Joy ninety four point nine. You're listening to Broad now. I just wanted to say a special shout out and thank you to Justine Ryan, who's just sent in an email. Lee and Sally's multiple muses of John Waters panel is going to be quite wild, and I can't say I disagree with you. I just want to say thank you so much to all of you guys who listen tonight. Broad will be back next Monday. We'll see you then. Coming up next, we have Beck with Bite Me Down Under. You're on Joy ninety four point nine. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.